I've titled this message, Fivefold Ministry, Laying Christ as the Foundation. So last week I ministered on the tandem ministries of apostles and prophets working together and we talked about how apostles and prophets lay foundation, they reveal Jesus Christ and then shepherds and teachers build upon the revelation, the foundation of Jesus. Are you here this morning? Alright, Romans 15, 15, let's have a look. Paul's writing and says, But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. What grace was given to Paul from God? He's an apostle. That's how he starts all his letters. So Paul is... The clearest picture that we have in the New Testament of looking at the apostolic ministry of discovering and exploring the heart of a true apostle. And there are false apostles that are mentioned in the scriptures. But we have a window into the heart and ministry of Jesus as an apostle. Hebrews 3.1 He's the apostle and confession of our faith. So we have a window, a clear picture into the life of Paul. But can I tell you something? Paul stands in a class all his own. The twelve apostles of the Lamb stand in a class all their own. Their 12 names are written on the foundation stones in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21. So when we say fivefold apostles or fivefold prophets, we're not talking about Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. We're not talking about Thomas and Bartholomew and Simon and James. We're not talking about that. Are you with me? I need you to engage this morning. Stay with me. So he's saying, the grace that was given to me, what's he do with it? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This has been a personally wonderful verse for me in my life over the years. Taylor knows I had this written on a post-it note and up on my desk for years until she asked me to take it down. Because she wanted it to look neat and clean, and she said my office looked like a biblical catastrophe. (laughs) We talk a lot about offerings. Offerings in the Old Testament. We receive tithes and offerings in the New Testament. I have never yet to date heard anyone preach a message on an offering of souls. Guys, this is so powerful. Paul's saying, God's given me grace. And I've sent, I'm sent to the Gentiles. And I'm going to win them to Jesus. I'm going to win them to Christ and present their souls as an offering to God because He's anointed me as a priest. I want an offering of souls to the Lord, don't you? Do you know how many people will die and have never effectively led one person to Jesus Christ? Oh, it's stunning. Sure, we tell people, we throw seed, we spread seed, we pass out tracts, we do our thing. But I mean bringing someone to the Lord. God, use me in a mighty way. Can I help you with something? You will never lead anyone to the Lord if you don't speak up. If the people where you work don't know that you're a Christian, your odds of successful evangelism are almost zero. 
even if they were looking for God, looking for an answer, they wouldn't ask you. They don't know you're a believer. Guys, they don't shy away to tell you about their one night stand and their drunk party crazy stuff. Why are we so timid and so shy? Why do we ask people for their permission to hear, oh, I'm just going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about the work of God in my life because He's changed me and made me new because He can heal you and deliver you and set you free. And this message burns inside of me because it's consumed my whole life. Remember, convinced people convince people. When we lack conviction, when we're not fully convinced, we will shy away and be like sheep when God's called us to be roaring lions. All right, three of us. Praise the Lord. Let's keep going. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Would you say through me? Resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. I think this is powerful. What Christ has done through me. This is important. I hope you'll write this down. Let the work that God does through you tell you something about Him and not yourself. The difference is pride and humility. See, we start to believe our own press. We start to buy into our own success. We start, at first, when we started out in that sales job, we were desperate and leaning on the Lord, and, oh God, if you don't help me, I'm not going to sell anything. And then we get a few sales, and we close a few deals, and we start to feel it, and we got it, and we know how to do it, and we're a professional. And all of a sudden, that lean on God begins to shift towards strength in self. Let the work that God does through you tell you something about Him. What's that mean? Give God all the credit and all the glory at every possible turn and chance you can. Wow, you're a success. Now, I would be a failure if it wasn't for Jesus. I would still be addicted to fill in the blank and you begin to testify because that's how you point to the Lord. Verse 19, he says, In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached. Would you say fully preached? I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Let me tell you something about apostles. Apostles tend to have a fullness to their message They're full and they're thorough because God has shared with them His panoramic perspective. In other words, they're burdened for the wider body of the Lord. And because they see the big picture of what God is doing in the earth, they carry a fullness to their message. Now, because of this tendency, can I tell you that apostles, in being exhaustive, end up being exhausting. Guys, Paul preached all night long. Someone fell out. I mean, that wasn't great preaching. Someone fell asleep, fell out of a window and died. And he's like, yeah, you were, I'm not done yet. I'm going to lay on you and raise you back to life. Get back here and take notes. I've got more to say. I've got the fullness of the message. He wants to make sure the gospel is fully preached. You'll find that throughout his letters in Colossians 1. He says something similar. 
He wants to make sure because there's a fullness, there's a burden for, did you get it all? He gathers up the elders in Acts 20 in Ephesus. They meet him on Miletus and he says to them, I did not withhold the fullness, the full purpose or the full counsel of God. I taught you everything. I gave it all to you. Are you with me? So there's an exhaustive, but it can be exhausting. Unfortunately, apostles can become very rigid and they can get weighed down and they can begin straining at gnats and they can confuse what is technical for what is practical and they're not the same thing. I've seen apostolic people literally obsess over one word or over when it's like, okay, all right, we get it. Move on. Three of us, one of us, none of us. Like, we have no idea what you're talking about. Let's keep reading verse 20. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. What were the two words that we were associating with apostles and prophets from last week? Foundation and revelation. Great. Foundation and revelation. Apostles and prophets are foundational and revelational ministries in the body of Christ. So he's saying, I desired not to go where there was already foundation. Why? Because I'm a foundation layer. And I want to go where there's need for me. Where there's an open door for the grace that God has given me. How upset would you be if you were building your dream home and you got the foundation laid and the architect said... We're just going to lay another one for the heck of it. You're going to have to wait another few weeks. No, what's the point? We've already got one. It's, there's fullness. We're ready. Let's begin to build upon the foundation. So he's expressing the desire. I want to go and lay foundation where it's not already been laid. This is a key for apostolic ministry. Are you with me? But as it is written, verse 21, They who had no news of him shall see. And they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions. And since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Do you feel the tenderness and the longing in this. He's saying, I want to see you. Guys, we need to kill the apostolic overlord thing. Be like, You're, it, Some people hear apostle and they think, well, you don't care about me. This is because of the perversion that's in apostolic ministry that are drunk on titles and rank and hierarchy. And you can't prove that biblically. Listen to his heart. When I first enjoyed your company for a while. Verse 25. But now I am going to Jerusalem. Do you see it? Serving the saints. He didn't say I'm going to Jerusalem to build my enterprise, to grow my brand, to get an armor bearer and an entourage and my name and lights. He went to Jerusalem to do what? To serve. Why have we disassociated serving from apostleship? I can't understand it. Apostles that don't serve are not pure apostles. 
Men say they're not true. They can still be truly apostolic. They're just perverted in their expression. Because Jesus, as the chief apostle, said, I've come. Somebody help me. Come on. I've come to serve, not to be served, to give my life as a ransom for many. So he's serving the saints. So apostles are mobilized to lay foundation in new regions and cities and their servants. True servants, here's what they do. They leverage whatever power, whatever influence, whatever authority God has given them, and they use it to build other people up. See, what we're used to is you leverage your own power and influence for your own gain and for your own benefit. What I believe about true apostolic ministry is this, that apostles, that their destiny and the fulfillment of their calling is wrapped up in others fulfilling their calling. So they become the drivetrain. They become the moving force behind others saying, prophesy, prophet, teach, teacher, shepherd, shepherd. You use that mercy gift and you bless other people. You serve and you give and you give your exhortation in tongues and you lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That's true apostolic ministry. I think the real desire is to be behind the scenes, not out in front. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. If you agree and if you disagree, you can leave while we're turning there. That's, that's a joke. I'm just kidding. Stay for our newcomer's lunch. That's what I'm supposed to say. First Corinthians 3, verse 1. You guys okay? Yeah. All right. And I, brethren, this is Paul talking again. Could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. Why? For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Do you remember my warning from last week? The Lord spoke to me and said, Comparison is the seed of jealousy. When we do not deal with comparison in our hearts, it burrows, it plants, and it gets watered, and it becomes full-time jealousy. Some of us want full-time ministry, but we have full-time jealousy. And we need deliverance from the condition in our hearts that is constantly looking at others and what God is doing for others and what God is doing in others. This is the plague of social media. You can look at everyone's highlight reel and everyone's best date and best moment and breakthrough and be like, oh my God, why am I such a loser? Why am I such a failure? Why? Because it becomes the lens of comparison. I wonder if our motives for social media don't have a whole lot to do with. I wonder how it's going for someone else. And we don't want to see them built up or propped up or blessed. We want to see them fall. We want to see them fail. We want to see it not go well for them. And all of that is the bitterness that is spiritual cancer that kills the life of God in us. 
I feel like clarifying again just because I think the Lord dropped it in my spirit. Guys, our heart for other churches and other ministries is not for them to shut down. It's for them to catch fire for Jesus Christ. It's for them to experience the fullness of all that He died and paid for. We want to see other places blessed. We want to see them having powerful encounters. Why? Because we need it all. And we should bless the kingdom of God wherever we find it. I assure you, we're not doing it all right here. But we're trying. We're doing the best we can with what we have. The best we can with what we know. So as much as you have light and clarity on the scriptures, then that becomes your guide for how you build. But jealousy and strife, comparison is that seed, and it greatly quenches the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, jealousy just... It just goes undetected. It's so subtle. Maybe the reason why you can't feel the presence of God. Maybe the reason why your devotional life is drying up is because you're jealous. Verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? 1 Corinthians 1.12 says, Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Then he asked them the question, Has Christ been divided? What's that tell you? People following their favorite preacher and flocking to popular preachers has been a problem for at least 2,000 years. That's a huge statement. Because we idolize the gifts and the graces that God has given rather than allowing them to be the vehicle that takes us to worshiping Jesus. Verse 5. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Would you say it? Servants. Let's try again. Servants. Like I'm reading the message. (laughs) I don't say that. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. Through whom you believe. Not overlords. Not the elite green berets. Servants. You go to the next chapter. 1 Corinthians 4.1 Let a man regard us as this. Servants. And stewards of the mysteries of Christ. Apostles carry a, a lowliness. A meekness. I didn't say they're cowards. But there's a meekness of Jesus. There's a brokenness and there's a tenderness that's pleasing to the Lord. Servants through whom you believed, verse 5, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, (laughs) but God who causes the growth. But what about me? What about my title? What about my reputation? What about my ministry? What about people recognizing me as trash at all? I planted, Apollos watered. The one who waters or plants is nothing. You see how this won't win you a popularity contest if you want to do it God's way. I told you last week, true New Testament churches can thrive apart from their founders. They're not built upon personality. It's not built upon gifting. It's not built upon, oh, I just love the way you preach. Can you preach every week? Can we know the preaching schedule so when you're on vacation, we can go on vacation? That's real. You laughed because it's real. 
Because we follow the church as a personality cult. If she's a cult, she's a personality cult. We like your gift. We just want to nurse at your breast. We just want to hook our feeding tube up to your ministry and benefit. Receive, receive, receive. And here comes the Holy Spirit like, I want you to detox from that and learn to give. And learn to pour out. And learn to serve. And learn to die to yourself. I planted Apollos water. God was causing the growth. Verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Again, we are the house of the Lord. This little place is not the house of God. We call people forward to the altar, but there's nothing special about the glue under these carpet squares. It's just carpet. This used to be the Hendricks County Flyer. God gave us this building because He wants to take us from spreading the local news to spreading the good news. We've turned this place and we've transformed it. Maybe we'll buy a huge crack house after this. Maybe a strip club will shut down and we'll turn it into a church. Praise the Lord. Wouldn't that be a win for Jesus? See, but the religious be like, oh, it's a, it's a strip club. We can't use that. We, we, we like, just, just paint it and pray in it and preach the gospel. <laughs> Honey, you were right. I'm funnier when I don't try. I preach all these years and plan jokes and they flop and then I just mouth stuff off and everybody laughs. I'm like, can't figure it out. Did you catch the part where he says the one who plants and the one who waters doesn't matter. God gives the growth. God gives the increase. Mitchell said it this morning. It was beautiful. Who cares who gets the credit so long as God gets the glory? What if we lay down our reputation and our need to be recognized as doing something for God and we just presented it to Jesus? I mean, how many miracles does Jesus perform and say, don't tell anybody? Man, I'm like, I look into my own heart and I'm like, dude, if someone was dead and they were, I'd be like, whoa. (laughs) I wouldn't be like, hey, don't tell anybody. I'd be like, tell the whole world. All right, just me. Praise the Lord. We'll let you pray for the dead. Verse 10. This is an important verse in our study of the fivefold ministry. According to the grace of God which was given to me. Here we go again. He's going to clarify. Here's the grace and here's what it does. What's it do? As a wise master builder, I laid foundation. He didn't lay a foundation. It says, I laid foundation. And another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. So he says, as a wise master builder, so apostles are architects. You should write that down. The Greek word is sophos architectone, which is wise architect. You can hear it in the word. He's saying the grace that was given to me, which is apostolic, is to lay foundation. I'm a wise master builder. Apostles are architects. They carry New Testament blueprints for the house of the Lord that it would be set up and run rightly and be pleasing to God. Do you see that? This is why apostles are first in the building order, which is sequence and not significance, but we'll get to that next week. I laid foundation in what? 
Do you see it? Another. He didn't say, I planted, now I'm going to water, because this is the Paul show. No, he said, I have a role and a function, and this is what God has called me to do. And there are others that are graced to do other things. Praise the Lord. Someone say amen. amen. The one-man ministry is dying. She's like an old, distinct dinosaur. Dinosaur. She's growing extinct. Oh, but, but, the, but the sheep just need their shepherd. We just need our senior pastor. All of that is being addressed. The Spirit of God is bringing conviction to the bride, saying, what are you doing? I'm all for honor, but a lot of our honor sounds like man worship. It feels like, here's your pedestal, and we prop ministers up on pedestals, and then we're all shocked when they fall. Like, I've had people that suffered under the one-man ministry. Their church fractured and split and was destroyed because when the pastor had an affair, the whole thing crumbled because it was built on him. And these same people are defending the religious system. I'm like, you have been brainwashed. You know the pain of it. You see the dark side of it, but you can't acknowledge that there's a better way in the Word of God. So I laid foundation, and another is building upon it. I'm going to say it one more time for clarity. Apostles and prophets lay foundation. Shepherds and teachers build upon the foundation. Evangelists win souls that the house of God would be populated. That doesn't mean evangelists shouldn't be in the church, although a lot of them will convince you that this is a waste of time because we should be sharing the gospel and winning souls. But nonetheless, the fivefold works together. Do you see that? Okay, good deal. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, verse 11, which is Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean? No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Does that mean that the foundation of every local church is Jesus Christ? No. This is similar to the statement of Jesus when he said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, listen, there's a whole lot of people doing a whole lot of things apart from Jesus. He wasn't saying it's impossible. He was saying it's not going to be fruitful or eternal. So no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So you can lay a foundation that's not Christ. It just won't last. And it won't bear fruit long term. But if Christ is the foundation, then it can stand the test of time. So Jesus is the foundation. Him and Him alone. Not money, not personality, not programs, not relevance to the culture of the world. God forbid. How many places are literally trying to become like clubs? Yeah, I went to a college. It was called Club Chapel. Hello, a Christian school. We're being trained for ministry. Come to Monday night club chapel. And it was like, rather than being down the road at Boots and Buckles for nickel beer night, we were at club chapel. I'm like, what are we doing? Now if any man builds upon the foundation, verse 12, with gold, silver, or precious stones, those are three that are positive, wood, hay, straw, or stubble, those are negative, those don't last. 
Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. We talk a lot about the fire of God in the Spirit-filled church. The fire of God is more than the tingles in an altar. The fire of God is what tests the quality of what is built. Those eyes of fire that Jesus has, He's going to gaze upon His church and weigh her and measure her. And He's going to bless and prosper whatever is a reflection of Him. But whatever is not must go. So the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. My father passed down a story to me of a brother who was apostolic, who planted churches. He had a huge ministry school. And in the natural, all his buildings one night literally caught on fire. And they were physically burning. And it got so fast and so advanced that the fire department couldn't put it out before it all burned to the ground. And this guy is devastated. And he's on the scene watching everything that he's built, quite literally watching his ministry burn. And the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, better in this life than in the life to come. And he experienced a shift in his ministry and the way he did things because of that encounter. As you can take someone with a great gift, with a cool personality, and you can prop them up and make them the lead communicator and build something around them, and people will live in sin and hide in secret and won't be true disciples. Oh, they'll be followers. They'll have the name of Jesus, but there won't be any real depth that will stand the test of fire and time. So let each man be careful how he builds. We have to be very careful how we build our Father's house. I say these things with fear and trepidation. Can you imagine giving your life to try to advance something and build something and grow people in the Lord? And then Jesus says, I don't recognize any of what you've done. That's horrifying. So how do we build according to the pattern? We follow the word at all costs. We adhere and we trust that Jesus sees our hearts that Lord, whether it's because of us or in spite of us, we want you to have your way. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be honored. We want people to have fruit that matches their life. We want their confession, not just with their lips, but it to be real in their lifestyle. We want to be a true house for the Holy Spirit to dwell. We want to be a family because you taught us that we're supposed to love one another. And this is a new commandment. This is the first commandment to love God, to love others. We want to do everything that you've said. We don't want to just hear the word. Well, what a nice message. We have a lot of nice messages. We need transformation. We need a reformation in the church of Jesus Christ. We need a total shift in the systems and structures and the way that we do things because we've built in a manner that he does not recognize. So let us build carefully and biblically. Allow me to give you a few more distinctions within the fivefold ministry. If you're taking notes, you can write down apostles, prophets, 
evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And I want to further distinguish these for you so that we can honor them, recognize them, and receive from them. Have you guys enjoyed these? So like back in the 80s and 90s, there was one that caught a little bit of popularity. It was a, a G word. I just expanded these at the leading of the Lord and felt like God breathed on them, so I enjoy sharing them with you. So we've been going through the alphabet. I'm actually not going to do all 26 letters because I don't know what a Z would be. <laughs> Apostles, <laughs> zing. <laughs> Prophets are zebras. <laughs> and then we went into false doctrine. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we're going to do the E. Apostles. Establish. Apostles are foundation layers. They establish the church. Prophets expose. A close second was exhort. Prophets are good exhorters. Prophets, of course, have the gift of prophecy. They also have the gift for exhortation. Now you're like, oh, how do I know if I... If I have the gift of teaching, but I'm not a fivefold teacher, what if I have the gift of mercy, but I'm not a fivefold shepherd? I mean, I want to say this gently, but who cares? Like, it, it's okay. You just use the gift, use the call. I don't want anybody to be confused because it would set you up for failure if you thought you had a fivefold call and you don't, and that's okay because not everybody has one. But I'm trying to eliminate the whole thing in us that's like, I'm a part of the fivefold ministry club. I'm special. I'm a, no, 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 no. We, right. we, we want all of that out the door. Yeah. All right. Apostles establish. <laughs> Prophets expose. Evangelists expand. What do they expand? They expand the kingdom. They take the gospel into new territory, into new places, into new families. They want to win souls. Evangelists get in trouble when they try to pastor churches. I have the most compassion within the fivefold for evangelists in particular because there's so much frustration from people that are extremely gifted and they win people to Christ and she's a powerful evangelist and she gets tired of seeing people come to Jesus, have a radical encounter, get put in a lukewarm church and then fizzle out. So they're like, by God, I'm going to do it myself. And they try to establish something and it doesn't go well. Or it explodes because they've expanded the kingdom and they keep preaching the gospel every Sunday and people are repenting and encountering God and they're receiving Jesus, but they're not growing in depth and maturity because all they're hearing is giddy up, but they need to hear grow up and wake up. They need to hear heal up and study up from the teachers and shepherds. All right, shepherds. Shepherds embrace We could do a live demonstration and have Mitchell come give me a hug. <laughs> Teachers, explain.
Here's what that means. Here's where you can find that in the Old Testament. Here's the cross references. Oh, you don't have a Thompson Chain study Bible? Oh, you need this. I have this set of commentaries I can loan you. Teachers, remember, we're not talking about personality. We're talking about the grace of God. And we should honor the grace on one another's lives. We're not nitpicking and making fun of. We're having a laugh about the different expressions and how we've misunderstood one another for centuries because we know one another according to the flesh, but God calls us to know each other according to the Spirit. So some of you know my brother. He's a prophet, Jeremiah. He functions prophetically. We have conversations where, quite honestly, the grace of God within us begins to spar and clash. And we have fun with it. We honor one another. But we don't talk as Paul and Jeremiah. We talk as sons to the Father. We're equal, but we see things differently. We have a lens and a grid, and it's good for both of us. If he were here, he would say amen. And I would say, I still have more hair than you. <laughs> for, for now. <laughs> Lord, I just repent right now. <laughs> just call down growth. Lord, if the church doesn't grow, let my hair grow. <laughs> All right, we're going to do next one. Are you ready? I couldn't eliminate, guys, I had a whole, like, massive list, and I'm trying not to overwhelm you. But I, I'm going to do two that start with F, the letter F here, okay? So, apostles, father, and found. I couldn't pick one. Apostles, father, and found. They found churches. They're fathers at heart. They carry the heart of God the Father, and they impart it to the church. Apostles have powerful revelation into the fatherhood of God, into the orphan spirit, because this is the grace of God upon their life. Now here's where we get confused. Let's say that someone is fatherly, and they found a ministry. We go, boop, you're an apostle. We like hand out titles like candy. Remember, for the purpose of teaching, if there were like 10 markers of being an apostle, or let's say 10 marks of being a prophet, if you're truly a part of the fivefold ministry, we're talking about you having like 8 or 9 or 10 out of 10, not 1 or 2 or 3. So someone comes up and they prophesy and they dream to dream, and we're like, oh, you're a prophet. And it's like, well, not necessarily. And we don't want to put that pressure upon people. Because then people start to feel like, man, I, I know I can prophesy, but man, I, I don't want a pastor. I don't. And that's where the confusion comes in, okay? So apostles, father and found, they impart God the Father to the church, their founders. Prophets forewarn and foretell. Prophets have a forewarning ministry. I don't know how many times in my life my dad, highly prophetic, would forewarn me about something or someone, and then we would argue about it. <laughs> He'd be like, I want to give you a word of wisdom about this, a, a warning. And I'm like, no, they're, so, they're such a nice guy. I love them there. And he's like, no, there's something operating in them that's not good that's going to come for you if you don't guard yourself. And then it happened. And I was like, man, dad was right. <laughs> 
because of the gift of wisdom and discernment. Man, he would pick wolves out like they walked in wearing a sign. I'm like, man, let's love them. Let, you know, come to the newcomer's lunch. And he's like, let's pray them out the door. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Evangelists, fetch and further. What happens when you play fetch? You go get it and you bring it back. Evangelists, they fetch souls. Those that are apart from Christ, cut off from the life of God, they go and get them. Jesus played fetch with humanity. Oh, they're distant. They're away from God. Here he comes to seek and save the lost and to bring us home. Furthering, expanding, there's a lot of confusion about apostles and evangelists. I said last week, all apostles are evangelists. Not all evangelists are apostles. Shepherds, I can't remember. There we go. Shepherds feed and feel. There's always room at my table. What are you doing for the holidays? I feel your pain. I'm sorry that you were hurt and wounded and rejected. Let's talk about it. I want to see you healed and made whole and raised up in the name of Jesus. Teachers, form, and facilitate. Teachers have a way of forming concepts and shaping word pictures and ideas in a way that you can understand and grasp them easily. Teachers teach with points. Evangelists love to tell great stories and pull you in. If you look at the ministry of Billy Graham, he rarely said, here's my five points. He would tell a story, he would invite people into it, and then boom, he would launch the gospel from it and people would feel conviction. Because he was preaching that message. He was evangelizing them. People used to gather in stadiums all over the world just to hear him preach. Reinhard Bonnke, same thing. Reinhard Bonnke's ministry was exceedingly more massive than Billy Graham's. But he prayed in tongues and believed in raising the dead so he wasn't as popular. That's a true statement. Are you guys with me this morning? Okay, so by now we should clearly see that each of the fivefold ministries have a role and a part to play in advancing the kingdom and bringing the church into maturity. Is that clear to you? Okay, good deal. The last thought I want to leave you with is this. Hopefully you've already grasped this, but I want to be ultimately clear. It's important that you understand that if one or more of the fivefold ministry is missing, in its expression, then the church will remain immature and unstable. So this is about growing up. This is about the fullness of Christ being made manifest to the church. Will you stand with me? I continue to feel led to pray. In conclusion of these messages, this isn't really like an altar call message. Although I suppose I could drum something up. <laughs> but I'm not going to. 
But I continue to feel led to pray at the conclusion of these messages for the restoration of the fivefold ministry. Guys, there are people that are genuine fivefold ministers, and they're beat down, and they're wounded, and they're despised and rejected, and they're hurt, and they've had a bad run of things, and she's made a vow in her heart, I'm never going to, all, all of that. And it's like, we need to pray for the restoration of the fivefold in the church. We need to pray for the restoration of the gifts of the Spirit, for the restoration of God's fatherhood in the church. Why? Because at the fulfillment of those things, Jesus will return and split the sky. So you see how even in praying for the restoration of the fivefold, you're praying for the return of Jesus. You're, there's a link there. Did you see it? This is from Acts 3 that Jesus is shut up in heaven until the restoration of all things. So let's pray together. Please don't just listen to me pray. Would you begin to pray and ask the Lord to restore the fivefold ministry in the church? to restore His gifts, to restore His body to a full expression. God, we ask that You would pour out Your Spirit on all flesh. Lord, we ask on behalf of the global body of Christ for every apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher to be restored to the church. We pray, God, that You would impart super abundant grace that we might reach the fullness of Your ministry, Lord. We pray that You would restore Your gifts. God, we pray for all the gifts to be in full activation in the heart of every believer, Lord. I pray that we would pursue the gifts once again, that we would zealously lust after the gifts of God, that we would seek to be supernatural in our ministry, that we would not be carnal or natural, but that You would restore all these things, Father, Father, would you come and be Father in your house again? Would you deal with all the game playing and all the sin and all the lies? And would you set your church, your sons and your daughters right? And would you raise Jesus to preeminence and power in the house of God that He might be the head of His church? Lord, I pray that you would fill us, Lord, with a jealousy to see you restored in these last days to your body, to your bride. In the name of Jesus, we say Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.